Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brody Meyer, and this is WHBC Radio, where we interview unique business individuals and get a great insight into their lives. This week's guest is Josh Owens, and he is the CEO of Supply Kick. Supply Kick is a company in Indianapolis that partners with brands to simplify their e-commerce and maximize sales on online marketplaces, specifically Amazon. Since Owens took the reins in 2016, revenue growth has been tremendous, and Supply Kick was placed in Inc. 500 for the fastest-growing private companies in America, and number four on the list for Indianapolis Business Journal's Fast 25. Josh has had success all over and held incredible positions, including one at Angie's List to start his career, a brief stint as an advisor for the U.S. House of Representatives, and a college professor of statistics and economics. You will definitely want to connect with Josh at some point if you run into him around Indianapolis, and you can easily do so with the FuseMe mobile app. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Supply Kick CEO, Josh Owens. Hello, Josh Owens. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, happy to happy to be here. Awesome. I'm really excited for this one. Um, been looking forward to it. Yeah, same. So I'm going to start you off with kind of a game um, that okay. we like to do, or like a little segment called Like or Dislike, just okay. to get, get you warmed up. Great. Okay, so basically I'm going to read off a list of items, and at the end of every word, you say like or dislike. Okay. All right. Bulldogs. Like. Shih tzus. Dislike. Milk. Mm, used to like. Sushi. Like. Darth Vader. Don't know who that is. Chicago. Mm, like, I guess. Begrudgingly. <laughs> All right. Um, LinkedIn. Uh, like. Hillary Clinton. Like, yeah. Donald Trump. Mm, dislike. <laughs> Facebook. Uh, dislike. Running on pavement. Uh, like. Okay. Very cool. So, um. I like the randomness. Yeah, yeah, we do like a random warm-up. Yeah, and I love it. I kind of, you know, I kind of do a little bit of stalking into your sort of social media and try to figure out things sure. that you may like or dislike yeah. and kind of form them to that. But, Good. um, the running on pavement one, I added because I see your runner and I actually have seen you around Butler's campus running a lot. Yeah, I do. I, I've, so I started running when I was um, in middle school. I was in, like, uh, I did cross country and then did cross country through high school. My family is a family of runners. Um, I got only half of the good running genes. They're all great runners. I'm just an okay runner. Um, but uh, I don't know. I've just always, I think because I started running so young, it's always been a good outlet for me. So when I'm feeling, like, stressed, um, like going on a five or six mile run, like is one of the only things that I can like do to actually de-stress. So gotcha. Yeah. Now we're gonna dive into a couple of serious questions. Okay, sounds good. All right. After graduating in 2007 with an economics degree from Wabash. Yep. You took a job in analytics and marketing strategy at Angie's List. Yep. Why was Angie's List a good fit for you right out of college? Yeah. So I I actually didn't know that it would be. I um. I, I was in something called the Orr Fellowship, uh, which here around Indianapolis, um, at the time it took about 10, 11 um, kind of top graduates of Indiana universities um, and put them um, at um, kind of high growth startups around Indianapolis and Indiana. And so 
um, that was mostly companies like um, at that time, 2007. It was Angie's List. It was um, Exact Target. It was you know Author Solutions. You know companies like that. But obviously, Angie's List and Exact Target were the two. Like, hey, this looks like this could be a thing. Um, you know, for me, that ended up being a really cool um, entry into the business world here in Indianapolis. I didn't really know after college what I wanted to do. And so I was open. I was looking at big stuff and small stuff. I was looking at Lily and I was looking at, you know, kind of all the things you'd expect. I was kind of on the fence if I wanted to stay in Indianapolis or if I was ready for um, to get out of town. And um, so honestly, um, I kind of lucked into Angie's List. Um, and I ended up in a really cool spot being able to work with the co-founders directly. Um, worked with just an awesome team of marketers um, and just um, really went from a you know from an undergraduate experience where I felt like I learned a lot but was ready to step out of that um, to um, that two years in the fellowship at Angie's List and then I stayed on for one more year um, I just learned so many business fundamentals saw so much as that company was expanding so rapidly and it was expanding during the you know during that great recession and so that was just a, a time where a lot of other things were going horribly wrong um, for other businesses so it was just an interesting juxtaposition to watch that um, so I, I always say that I just kind of lucked out early on very cool so you've kind of been in this indie scene for a long time since the beginning of your yeah. career yeah I stayed in indie so I stayed um, at Angie's List for an extra year after the fellowship so I was there for about three years um, and then helped get another startup um, off the ground uh, in Greenwood, Indiana, which is an e-commerce company, um, One Click cool. Ventures. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so I spent about two years there. And then um, at that point we were, so that was a bootstrapped profitable company. It was an awesome experience. It was completely different than Angie's List because that's, uh, you know, VC backed, um, you know, raised tens of millions of dollars every couple of years, uh, you know, go for an IPO kind of thing. So that was just a, a great um you know, different experience to have early on. I, I wasn't really seeking it out, but I, but I kind of lucked into seeing those different sides of business um, very early in my career. And I think a lot of people don't really um, either think of those differences or see those differences so early. So I just kind of lucked into that. Um, that being said, then I was kind of like ready for a break. Um, and yeah, mostly from yeah. Indy. Yeah, I, was, I mean, I was ready for a break from Indy and I was ready for a break. Um, you know, I think from um, just kind of the grind of um, tech startups and the long hours and um, kind of the uncertainty of not, you know, like okay. things were going really well, but you never are quite sure when you're in a young, uh, you know, business that's trying to grow quickly. Um, and so um, I started looking around at grad school options and just said, well, if I'm going to apply to um, two or three schools. If I get into, you know, um, one of the ones that I really want to, then that'd be great. If I don't, I've got a really good thing going and I'll kind of buckle down and, and um, um, you know, keep going here. Yeah. So that's kind of what led me to um, head out of Indy for a couple years. Once you came back to the States, you became an economic advisor yep. in the U.S. House of Representatives. Yes. What are the differences between that environment and the business environment that you were used to thus far? They get nothing done there. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, that was an experience that was really um, interesting for me. I was coming back from grad school. I had a little bit of time. It, anytime you make those career pivots, it's the easiest time to just be able to say, hey, this is something I've always been interested in doing. I just want to see if there's anything there. <clears throat> I'm interested in politics. I've always enjoyed it. Um, I have a lot of respect for people on both sides. Um, who put themselves out there and, you know, want to try to affect change in our communities. Um, now, you can have differences in, you know, if you think they're making good changes or not, but, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for that. And generally what I found at the House was 
it is by and large um, all the representatives um, senators that I came in contact with are very genuine you know good yeah pretty good people good natured and yeah um, and generally I think mostly trying to do you know good things but wow is it a system that's just set up for failure um, um, both because of their own actions and because of the incentives um, that I think the you know to your question the hardest thing that I saw there was um, you know in startups in business but in startups in particular you everything is about execution it's about decisions and moving forward um, and uh, and testing those decisions and you know refining those decisions and moving forward with new um, strategies making pivots when you have to um, everything about the House of Representatives was um, work on something that may or may not have any impact at all mm -hmm. um, likely won't get a vote likely won't even get a committee hearing um, you know that's just such wasted effort um, and it's a shame that we have so much wasted effort um, in that place where so many good things can be done so you know it was a good experience to have um, it was nice to be able to understand some more of the budget process it was nice to understand a little bit more of the behind the scenes of what's going on at the capitol it's not terribly complicated um, it's pretty yeah. straightforward um, most of them actually do play it like a game it is kind of like what it looks like on tv really? um, so all of that was kind of just good to see you know um, it's generally you know good people but i think caught in a system that um, either they're choosing not to change um, or they fall into. And um, that was good to see for nine, ten months. And then it was also good for me to uh, say, okay, great. I saw this. I'm ready to uh, move on to more productive things. Yeah. <laughs> so. And so you moved into teaching. Um, after your experience in Washington, you yeah. became economics and statistics professor over at Butler. Yep. That's actually where I met you. Yep. yep. Um, I had a stats class with you my sophomore year. Yep. This is actually where we, I tried coming up with a new kind of game show segment okay. for our podcast. So cool. um, we're calling it the Rate My Professor Game. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. This could go a number of different ways. Yes. And <laughs> for those of you who do not know, Rate My Professor is a website where students can rank and leave reviews of their professors online for other students to look at while they're picking classes. I, were you aware of Rate My Professor? Yes. I was okay. made aware of it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So for this game, I have um, some real reviews from actual students, mm -hmm. and I made up some fake reviews. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to read through them, mm -hmm. and at the end of each one, you have to guess if it's a real review or a fake review. Okay. Okay? Great. Okay, here we go. All right, here we go. Number one, Owens is the man, plain and simple. He's extremely clear in his lectures and outlines what you need to do to succeed in his class. He is also an incredibly successful businessman. That feels real. It's real. Okay, good. It's real. Good. Yes. Okay, that's yeah. good. I like that comment. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Yeah. I um, like the personality in that comment. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Number two, Josh is a great professor. Anytime I got caught up on one of his exams, he would help me through the question. This was great because he would give me hints that made the exams much easier. <laughs> oh, no. Um... I don't know. That sounds like that sounds like a first year thing that I probably would have done. So yeah, I'm gonna say that's real. It's fake. It is it's good. Fake. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I, I made that one because I don't that's remember hilarious. you ever like. I know you you would help students, but during a test, it wasn't yeah. always you know. So I learned my lesson after yeah. the first year. Um, so I don't think that I ever gave like direct hints, but it like it's impossible to. Like, I would try, what I, in essence, actually what ends up happening is you just get better at writing exams. So, okay. like, the first year of writing exams, 
you think that it's clear. I mean, you can read this thing 10 times over and you think that you're being clear and then it turns out you have like 25 <laughs> questions. And obviously if you're teaching the same stats class four times in a row, like by the third class, I'm I know exactly what people are gonna be you yeah. know, asking about. I'm like, yes, that was a typo or <laughs> I don't know why that number doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what I was thinking last night when I wrote this thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after the first couple of years, I, like, I think I just generally got better at writing exams. Gotcha. Yeah. Number three. Okay. Owens was awful. I guess I learned a little bit about stats, but one time when I tried asking him a question during a, an exam, he broke my pencil in half. <laughs> what a jerk. Um, I'm going to say that's fake, but only because I don't remember anyone ever using pencils. That's definitely fake. But I can't tell you the number of times that I thought to myself, why are people using pens on a stats exam? You're going to be doing calculations, and you will invariably mess something up. <laughs> I, this was like a constant thing. You know, you're standing at the... at the. So it's more like you... Broke I'm, his pen I'm not joking. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm yeah. not joking. This is the thing that I like would think every single time I would like pass out the exams and I watch people like get out these pens. I would just think to myself, why? <laughs> why are we using pens? I, but I, I like. I don't think I ever said anything. I just those were the like jokes I would tell myself yeah. while I was just standing there for 45 minutes waiting for this thing to end. <laughs> well, they're challenging themselves. Yeah, I know? guess maybe yeah. that's you're the, right. I, look, I was always looking. Right I was always looking at it the wrong way. They yeah. were actually challenging themselves. Exactly. I like that actually. That's yeah. a good way to look at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, here's number four. Okay. He's a great professor and does not waste your time. He is a must-take. He's very attractive, so you won't mind going to class. <laughs> um, I'm going to say that's real. It is a real <laughs> one. Yes, yes, it is a real one. Yeah. And I was trying to find something. But there, you know, honestly, you never. You, there were no bad reviews. Oh, that's you nice. only got, it was like good or excellent, I believe. Yeah. And, um. I just I was trying to find something a little yeah, different, but I thought that would nice. mix it up. But yeah. yeah. So although you were a fantastic professor, you ended up taking a role as the CEO of Supply Kick in yes. 2016. Yep. How was the transition from professor to CEO? So we lucked out. Um, it, it worked out really well. Supply Kick, when I started working with it, was late uh, 2014, early 2015. I was doing consulting. Um, you know, one of the nice things about teaching is uh, once you get through the first year, um, which is a lot of long hours and a lot of questioning, am I doing this right? Mm -hmm. um, you have the bare, you know, you have the basics of what your lectures are going to at least look like, the outlines. It doesn't mean that you're not making changes, that you're not spending time on it, but there's a lot more time, you know. Yeah. And so um, in the second, third, fourth years while I was at Butler, I was doing a lot of consulting with companies. And um, Supply Kick, when I came um, came on board. It was a really small company. Um, you know, it had a little bit of an idea of where it was going, but you know, needed to be cleaned up on a few different things. Um, and and the truth is, um, it, we could not have supported um, you know me being full time there. And mm -hmm. so it actually was a really great. It, it only happened um, in the way that it did, and really gave us an opportunity to um, to do it in the right way because. I was being supported, you know, by Butler in that full-time job. And so while Supply Kick was a second full-time job, um, you know, we didn't have to, we didn't have to pay me for that. You know, yeah. we didn't have to take our resources and do those kind of things. And so, you know, you know, you, you hear a lot of companies that are started in, you know, the spare time that someone has or in their garage or those type of things. Like this was um, kind of a modified version of that. And it, it really did help, um, you know, not, um, it helped both me be able to do it in a way that made sense and um, the company do it in a way that made sense. So um, it actually worked out really well. 
it, it definitely sounds like it worked out very well because throughout the research of Supply Cake I was looking at, yep. um, when you took the reins in 2016, uh, started it generated six point eight million dollars in revenue, and you're named one of the fastest five hundred growing companies in America, number three in Indiana. It's yep. incredible. What what did you do? Yep. What what was the shift? Yeah, it was big. It was big growth, and it was it was a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of shifts that we made. Um, in fact, I wrote like a um, around the same time that we were getting the Inc. Five Hundred the the IBJ Fast 25, <clears throat> those awards in the summer of 2017, um, I wrote kind of a little article just reflecting on, um, at that point we had hit, we had hit about $10 million in sales um, uh, on an annual basis. Um, and so that's a nice little threshold for a company. Like I said, still very small at that time. We were still, you know, very small, um, but growing really quickly. And I tried to reflect on some of the things that you know, helped us get to that point. And the number one thing that I wrote down was focus. Um, and it's true. And I think that this is true of just about any business when you're starting out. It doesn't mean once you get big, you can go in 50 different directions. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't, you don't necessarily feel the pain um, so long as you manage that well of, you know, a number of them doing poorly. But when you're a startup, um, you've got to be focused. And for us, um, we kind of generally knew where we were going, but we weren't really owning our identity of um, we're Amazon experts, um, both on a marketing and a logistics standpoint. And so we need to dive fully into that. We need to own that completely. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that we won't do tests on Walmart. We won't do tests on uh, Amazon Mexico, you know, things like that. But 99% um, of our resources and thought and time has to be on our core engine. Um, you know, and um, that type of focus um, can be very difficult because you don't know if you're saying no to things that could be better opportunities. Um, but at some point, you have to just focus and choose, this is what we're going with. Um, and that was a big um, part of what the end of 2015, when I was coming on um, and, and taking over at Supply Kick, um, 2016 was pure execution of that, staying focused. And when you do that, it then forces you to take that marginal time and think a lot more about, um, okay, what is wrong with our sales process? What is wrong with our marketing process? Um, uh, including, um, <laughs> our, our marketing doesn't even exist. So how do we get from <laughs> zero to one on having a marketing person? And what does that look like? Um, you know, you start focusing on all of those um, little things. And, and I'll tell you, it doesn't mean that you're gonna succeed. Um, it could also mean that you fail and that you fail quickly. Um, but that's also a good thing because then you can pivot off of that. Um, but you have to have some feedback on that. So, you know, all of that growth, um, I really attribute to um, a super smart team um, who, um, and I don't mean smart in they came from the best universities and they, you know, had the best pedigree and that kind of thing. I mean smart in um, they were motivated, uh, they understood the platform, um, unlike a lot of others. And um, when they saw the opportunity to grow, they ran after it. Um, and, and that's a fun team to have. You can build around that team mm -hmm. a lot easier than you can, you know, superstar academics and that kind of thing. Um, and it sounds like with you heading it up a very focused team. Yeah, and, uh, and adding that focus really helped. You're exactly right. So I have one final question. Shoot. As a company that is built on the Amazon platform. Yes. If Amazon does end up choosing Indianapolis no. for their second headquarters, how will Supply Kick be affected, or how can you, you know, see into the future of how Supply Kick will be affected? Yeah. 
I've been writing a lot about um, I saw Amazon your Amazonian and, society. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was great. Um, uh, and, and thinking about this, you know, I, I think um, Indianapolis is a great city and it has a lot of positives. Obviously, it would be um, life changing for the city and opportunity changing for you know the residents um, uh, if Amazon were to choose Indianapolis. So uh, I hope that that happens. You know, I think realistically, um, Indianapolis is probably a great choice, um, but I don't know if it's a top choice. Um, you know, we have uh, some work that we still need to do on, um, you know, on the city in positive ways, you know, and making sure that um, everyone in the city has opportunities for growth and for development and great education at um, elementary schools and high schools, but also schools like Butler and IUPUI and more access to, you know, those type of options. Um, you know, what I was, what I've been trying to say about um, Amazon, whether it comes to Indianapolis or doesn't come to Indianapolis, um, the truth is we already have a lot of businesses here that are built on Amazon that are part of that ecosystem. And that's an incredibly important thing to nurture as a city. Um, you know, we can get excited about um, 50,000 jobs, um, you know, coming down from on high from, you know, Seattle. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, but we also need to make sure that we're equally as excited about building the um, community that we have here supporting the businesses that are here, supporting the individuals who are going to become, you know, the next great leaders and, and team members at these businesses um, so that they're ready for what this modern economy looks like. Um, and so, you know, I've been trying to take a little bigger view of what Amazon, what this could mean, because if we want to think big about these 50,000 jobs, I think we should think big about, um, you know, all the 50,000 jobs that could be here, whether, you know, we um, create them here from businesses that are already here. They come from outside or, you know, some combination of both. Um, for us as a business, it doesn't particularly, obviously we've had a lot of success with Amazon being, um, you know, uh, half a nation away. Um, so it doesn't particularly matter to us all that much. Um, I think uh, there would be a lot more excitement around the area. And so, um, you know, we've already had a pretty easy time recruiting, um, you know, good team members to join the team, but it might be kind of marginally easier. Um, you know, I think for the city, there would also be some downsides um, to a company like that bringing um, so many high paying jobs so quickly to a community. We'd probably see housing prices increase if we're not careful about it. Um, it's entirely possible that um, we could get um, an even more. Um, uh, we'll never get a seat at a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, um, there'd be some really exciting things like that. Um, so long as we're also making sure that those gains are spread um, equitably across our city um, and that, you know, we're getting good educational um, opportunities across our city, um, that we're getting good infrastructure, you know, projects across our city. Um, we want to make sure if something like that happens, um, that it's touching all parts of our city, that it's that it's giving a positive impact um, to as many people as possible. Um, so, you know, I think those those are the good and bad ways that it could impact the city. I think it would be incredibly exciting. It would be so much fun. It's like it would be like a Super Bowl on steroids. Definitely. So that, that would be fun. Um, but you know, as far as the business climate, um, Indianapolis is in a really cool place. We got some great businesses in the city. Um, you know, and we do have a history of um, a recent history of uh, Exact Targets and Angie's List. Um, um, you know, good exits and good valuations. Companies like that. Um, we've got a cool new crop of you know young um, companies that are under a hundred team members that. Are growing quickly that are you know raising funds that are um, in really exciting spaces similar to supply kick you know we're in yeah. the biggest of big spaces retail and, and we're trying to make that work for brands that have not had an opportunity to make that work before um, 
So that's really fun and exciting. Um, and I think, you know, regardless of if Amazon comes here or not, I'm incredibly excited about the future of Indianapolis and the business community here. It's just, um, there's some great things going. Um, and we want to make sure that we keep investing in the right way to um, build those businesses and, you know, um, have an opportunity to attract those big, cool companies like Amazon and others that'll be coming along the way. Um, I think Indianapolis is a good home for them, um, but we want to keep investing whether they come or not. Well, it's very well put, Josh. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for being on the show. Of course. I was uh, glad to join you. Thanks. Hey, thanks for tuning in this week. My name is Brody Meyer, and this was WHBC Radio, brought to you by the FuseMe mobile application. For those of you who do not know, WHBC stands for We Hate Business Cards. Please check out our mobile application on the App Store called FuseMe. FuseMe is a business tool eliminating the business card while bringing back the human-to-human connection that we find ourselves missing in this era of social media. Thanks again for tuning in, and keep your eyes peeled for more podcasts. We have some great guests lined up for the following weeks. My name is Brody Meyer, and remember... We hate business cards.